0: Thank you for joining us today at Our Savior's Church, where we are one church meeting in seven different locations. We hope that today's message encourages and empowers you on your spiritual journey and helps you grow deeper in your relationship with God. To learn more about Our Savior's Church and how you can get involved, you can visit us online at OurSavior'sChurch.com. Amen. I want you to repeat a phrase with me that we've been saying often in this series is a bit of the tagline of the series. Say this with me. Say, relationships can determine the quality of your life. Relationships can determine the quality of your life. And something, again, you've heard me say throughout the series is you can be extremely successful at your job and have a miserable marriage and you're miserable. You can be in shape, fit disciplined in all so many areas of your life but your kids hate you and you're miserable and so I want to talk about those things today I want to focus on the family and I want to give very practical tips as well in how we have a blessed family a God-ordered family and so now I want to warn you as I get started here's the caveat here's the disclaimer on the beginning are you ready You're going to get mad at me. (laughs) I am going to make you mad. My name is Pastor Gabe, and I'm your friend. (laughs) I just want you to hear that. And listen, my heart is not that. My goal is not to come in, oh, I'm going to offend y'all today. No, no, no. I know that God's word will offend our flesh. I know God's Word will offend our way of thinking, even our cultural way of thinking, or what we've grown up thinking this is right. I want us to see things through the lens of God's Word, and today I want to talk about just a word we don't even like, order, I want to talk about God's order of the family, and I want to go back to the book that we've been in, the book of Colossians, where the apostle Paul has been talking to us about the new creation that we are and how to live God's way. And he's gone through incredible characteristics of us as new new creations in Christ, these believers. And he's shared with us things like be full of tender heart, excuse me, put on tender heart and mercy, humility and meekness and all of those things that we hear go, yeah, 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 I need to do that. Yeah, I need to do that. But now he gets really practical and he starts laying out, this is what the family of new creations look like. And what he shares with us was radical and revolutionary because it was not the norm of the day. It was not the perspective on families of the day. And that's what I want to read to you today. So if you will go back with me to the book of Colossians chapter 3. Verse 17, we're going to start there. This is what it says, and whatever you do or say, do as a representative of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks through him to God the Father. In everything that you do, do this to represent Jesus, and that's easier, at least theoretically, it's easier when you're... Talking about, yeah, I need to be more meek. Yeah, I need to be more humble. But the things he's getting ready to lay out, those things, do those things as a representative of Jesus Christ. Then he goes into this. Wives, submit to your husbands as is fitting for those who belong to the Lord. Husbands, love your wives and never treat them harshly. Children, always obey your parents. For this pleases the Lord. Fathers, and that term really is talking about both parents. Parents, do not aggravate, or another translation says, provoke your children, or they will become discouraged. My name is Pastor Gabe. (laughs) And I am your friend. Well, Pastor, I don't like that. I hear you. It doesn't change it, though. It doesn't change what the Word of God lays out as the structure of the family. This is what God said, I want the family, my people's families to look like this. Because this is where I, this is what I bless. This is the order that I have set in place for the family. As a matter of fact, I would venture to say that most of us, the problems that we have in our families, most of the time is when someone decides not to live in this order. When someone decides to step out of doing it this way, step out of doing it God's way, and it creates tension and conflict and problems and issues, most of the time it comes from us not living in God's order of the family somebody decides they don't want to take the responsibility that God's given them seriously somebody decides i want to just give in to my flesh and let my kids have it i was just want to get i'm tired of listening to him he doesn't know what he's talking about anyway and it creates tension and conflict in the family and paul is saying this is what god's people this is what their families are supposed to look like this is the order now let me tell you everything within your sinful Nature will resist this. Everything in your normal sinful nature will go, I don't want to do that. I don't like that. What about this, this, and this, and this, and this? And you will find all of the outlying reasons why you should not or the, the rare occasions or the whatevers that go, that's not true. This is what God's word says. Now, Pastor, why should I do this? Number one, we should because we love God and it's his way. We love God, and it's His way. And listen, if you want God's blessings, you have to do things God's way. Here's the other reason. Because we actually love our families. Because we actually love, if we love our families, then we will do things in a manner that God will bless our family. I I can almost assure you That when I read that scripture, the resistance that you felt, and I know that you did. Don't look at me like you didn't. The resistance that you felt to those scriptures had absolutely nothing to do with you caring about the well-being of the other people in your family. You were only thinking about what you would have to lose. You were only thinking about what you would have to compromise. You you were only thinking about what. this is what's going to cost me, which then shows us that your feeling was not love-based. Because when you're thinking about what's best for your family, you're thinking about them and loving them and caring for them. But the moment you went, well, this is going to cost me, and I don't like it because it became selfish and it became about you. And can you see how that's not God? My name is Pastor Gabe, (laughs) and I am your friend. If you want God's blessing on your family, you have to do it God's way. You have to be, as this same chapter mentioned, clothe all of these things. Above all else, clothe yourselves with love. As you're dealing with your family, clothe yourselves in love. How do I love my family? By following God's order. That's how you love your family. What's good for your, car- your kids is for them to see you following this order. That's what's good for me. And this isn't, this isn't in my notes, but some of you need to hear this. Some of us need to stop putting our children above one another. Right. Because you've so idolized them that what you don't know that you're doing is setting them up for failure in life. I put her before my girls. And by putting her before my girls, I'm setting my girls up for success. I'm showing them what the structure of a godly family is supposed to look like. I know it's okay. Now, also, as your pastor, don't want to be ignorant of something that I know some of you are in the room and this Conversation, you may feel like this doesn't apply to you, and that's, well, Pastor. Either I've messed up, or our family—I'm not in a family yet, or or I, I, I've missed it here, or my kids. I'll, let me just give you a little hope, and this isn't in our notes because I was reading this in my own devo time this morning before services, and this is something that I read in Psalms 68, verse five and six. It says, "Father to the fatherless, defender of widows. This is God." whose dwelling is holy, God places the lonely in families. He sets the prisoners free and gives them joy, but he makes the rebellious live in a sun-scorched land." What is this saying? Whatever the gap is between you and this, God makes up the difference. If you're raising kids and you don't have that husband in place, guess what? God will make up the difference. God will put godly men in their lives. If you're here and you've, and you've lost a husband, God will be your defender and your protector. God will be your covering. God will put people in your life to help be your covering. So don't sit back and feel like, oh my gosh. What I'm, no, God loves you and he will make up the difference of everything that I'm talking about. God, is, can, God will always be the exception to the rule. Now I want to give today some very practical tips. And we're going to talk about different areas of our life. I want to get real practical in this message because we've talked a lot about the heart over the last few weeks. I want to dive into some very practical things that help you live out God's structure. Are y'all ready? Yeah. I want you to take notes. And if you are, if you're taking notes, write this down. We're going to start with marriage tips. Number one, so simple. Go to bed at the same time. <laughs> Go to bed at the same time. Wait, What? <laughs> I thought we were gonna get into some good stuff. This is good stuff. Go to bed at the same time. Why? It shows that you're together. It closes the door on so many unnecessary temptations. How many of you have given into areas of temp- temptation in your life because your spouse was in the bed asleep and you decided, let me stay up and you left yourself wide open for temptation? Another reason why you should do that is it ca- it helps you deal with conflicts when you're in the middle of a tense conflict. And she says, "Fine, I'm going to bed." And you're like, "Well, fine, I'm gonna stay out here and watch TV all night because I want to sleep with you anyway." And the gap just becomes further and further and further and further until now it's not just a one-time argument. Now y'all don't go to bed at the same time at all. Now you're passing, you're like two ships passing in the night whenever that time, you put the kids to bed and I don't even know you anymore because you're not setting yourselves up to be together. Let me tell you something about marriage. Marriage is like two boats. They are naturally going to drift apart. Boats don't just drift towards one another. They drift apart. That's what marriage is like unless you have something binding you together. So you have to fight intentionally to stay together. Well, Pastor, that's boring. I don't want to go to bed. I like boring. (laughs) Boring is safe, boring protects you. Very simple. Go to bed together. Or how about when you're, when you're ready and you're arguing or you're fighting and you know I have to go lay in the bed next to them and I'm going to have to go talk to God. It's a little more incentive to deal with that problem. There have been moments where, Pastor Gabe, do you and Lauren, are like, am I catching this right? Y'all argue? Of course we argue. She's not perfect. <laughs> of course. Yes, we have tension. We have conflicts. And I'm just joking, okay. I didn't clarify that in the last service because she wasn't here, but I'll clarify that because she's sitting right there. Of course we have tensions. Of course we have conflicts. We have those things. And there are moments when, oh, my gosh, if I'm going to pray, I have to tell her I love her. I don't want to tell her I love her because I'm mad at her. But if we're going to talk to God, we've we got to do something. Going to bed at the same time forces you to deal with some things. It's just a, not the, it's a safeguard in your marriage. And you will need many. You will need many. Here's the second one if you're taking notes. Second marriage tip. You're not going to un- understand it as soon as I say it, so let me explain it. Don't fight over what you are not fighting over. Don't fight over what you are not fighting over. What do you mean, Pastor Gabe? Sometimes we make passive digs at the other person because we won't say the thing that we're really offended about. Okay. Let me explain it this way. (laughs) He comes home and doesn't say, hey, or is busy or focused. So you spend the next three hours of the night nitpicking everything that he does because you're offended that he didn't say hi to you. So you're fighting about something because you don't want to be vulnerable enough to say, hey, I was hurt by the fact that you didn't acknowledge me or that you didn't text me that you were running late. So you fight about something else. Let me come on this side for a moment. (laughs) Or... You're really offended by the fact that y'all haven't slept together in three weeks and she acts like she hasn't noticed. So you start being harsh and, and real, just harsh with your tongue, whatever. Anything she does, you nitpick away because you're really offended at that, but you don't want to say that because you don't want to be vulnerable. So instead, you're going to nitpick everything else that she does. I don't like the way you talk to the kids. I don't like the way you, I don't like, why did you wear that? You know I don't like when you wear that. Can we be honest in church today, or is y'all just going to? Sometimes we argue about things that we aren't arguing about. We're really arguing about that in our heart, but we're too, we're too prideful to deal with that, or we're too scared to deal with that, so we don't get vulnerable. And instead, we let, we're like pressure cookers, and we let the pressure build, 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 so it just explodes all over the place. When all you really have to do is say, hey, we haven't slept together in a while. Have I done something wrong? That's important to me. That causes vulnerability. We Don't avoid tough conversations because they will only lead to tougher conversations. I'm not, this, this is what I'm not advocating for. I'm not advocating for you going, all right, Pastor Gabe, great message. <laughs> when I go home, They getting it. Sometimes you need to take your time. Sometimes you need to process through the emotions of it so you can say it. But what you don't need to do is avoid it altogether. What you don't need to do is act like it will just go away. Let me give you a good, very practical rule of thumb. If something, really anybody, if they offend you, and in 24 hours, if you're not over it, then you need to bring it to them. If you can't, listen, the Bible says it's the glory of a man to overlook an offense. There's some things you can just overlook and move on for the sake of the relationship. But if you cannot just overlook it within 24 hours, you need to go to them. You need to say, hey, that that really hurt me, and I've been thinking about it, processing it, and I wanted to bring it to you. It's a good rule of thumb. Some of the worst arguments my wife and I have been in and I think she would attest to this. Some of the worst arguments that we've been in have been because one of us did not want to deal with something. Or we thought, ah, I don't want to deal. Or, or I'm just going to let that one go. And we didn't really let it go. And we start arguing about everything else. And the real issue comes out about 30 to 40 minutes into the argument that we're in. So don't fight over what you aren't fighting over. It Be vulnerable. Say it. Here's the next one. Speak positively about each other, in private and in public. Speak positively about each other, in private and in public. If you want to destroy the unity of your spouse, bash them in front of other people. Criticize them in front of others. If you want to hurt the unity, do that. And I understand that sometimes it's meant as a joke. But it's not always taken that way. And that's where I get into what we talked about earlier a little bit. You have a freedom. I, I, come on, I have the ability to make a joke. They're too sensitive. What's more important, your right or the unity of your marriage? You may be digging in a spot that they've been wounded in for years and you think it's funny, but you're belittling them in front of their friends. Use your words to build your spouse up. And I used to, I used to preach this only speaking to wives. But it, that's not true. This needs to be both of you. Because husbands, you need to throw, hear your pastor when I say this, you need to throw away that old ball and chain language. You need to throw it away. When you're around your friends and they're talking about my old lady, don't join in with them. She's not your old lady. She's the greatest gift next to Jesus that God has ever given you. And yes, ladies, I know you're clapping, but this is for you too. I'm not here to win friends and influence people. I'm here to help marriages today. Wives, don't privately build your husband up and then publicly tear him down. There are moments when you can tell him, and prophet, baby, you're so great, you're so amazing, and the moment you get in front of your friends, you feel this comfortability to just go, yeah, he's always doing it, he's so dumb, he's up, he's Are you kidding me? Are you kidding me? And I know why you do, because culture makes you, will try to make you feel like, if I am publicly building my husband up, then that's somehow taking away from my rights as a woman. That's the lie that culture has gotten you to buy into. I don't, I don't need a man. Yes, you do. You could not have been born without one. You could not have been born. And listen, I'm not saying, you're, if you're single, you have, I'm not, I'm not saying that. Just to clarify that. But I want you to, make, if you are married, you need the man God gave you. You do. So build him up. Listen. If we're just talking in selfish terms, which I'm not advocating for being selfish, but even in selfish logic, think about it like this. If you're using your words to tear him down, that's what he will become. If you're using your words to build him up, that's what he will become. And who benefits? You and the family when you build him up. I don't know how to do that. My mama didn't get around people who do. Get around people who do. do. And I'm going to go into that a little bit more, but here's the next one. We don't both have to be in the mood. <laughs> is that what, are you talking about what I think you're talking about? That is exactly what I'm talking about. <laughs> you do not both have to be in the mood for intimacy. Just one of you needs to be in the mood for intimacy to take place. Just one of you. Now, listen, marriage is so much more than sex. It is so much more than sex. But make absolutely no mistake about it. Sex is a binding agent in a marriage. It's a binding agent in a marriage. And when you are not being intimate with one another, you are leaving that person to be exposed. Exposed to what? Exposed to temptation. Not just sexual temptation, exposed to feel like they're not enough. Exposed to feel like they're inadequate. Exposed to feel like, why don't they think I'm attractive anymore? Exposed to feel like I've never been good enough for them. And you allow these lies and these things to get in them. Why? Because you're not covering them. Now, before I go further into that, because the Word of God does have something to say about that, let me speak to my single people for a moment. I'm not talking to you. I'm not. I'm not talking about in general in this message. This listen, as a single person, I learned a lot about marriage before I was married. In settings like this, where I learned, okay, I'm going to do that one day. I'm going to, and I hope that you're doing that one day as well. But here's my message to you, specifically single people: Stay pure. Yeah. Stay pure. You don't have to flirt with everybody that you see. You don't. Stay pure. Now, if you find a godly man, flirt with him. <laughs> Flirting is not a sin, especially if that man is showing interest, <laughs> bat that eye at that man every now and then. <laughs> Just put that out there. But stay pure. And listen to me. If you, if you are single and you are sleeping around, some with one person or multiple people. Please hear my heart when I say this. If you are a believer that you need to repent. Yes. And I don't say that harshly. I let me explain why. It's a sin against God and it's a sin against that person. Because when you do that, you are saying not they are more important than God, although it looks that way. What you're saying is I'm more important than them and God. Because if you love them, you would not be doing to them something that would cause them to be in sin against God. When you do that, it is simply to meet your own selfish need. Let's call it what it is. And that is not purity, and that does not honor God. If that is you, well, I'm living with them, and I've moved my life into them. Move out. Move out. Well, Pastor, that's a whole lot of stuff that goes into that. I understand, but a whole lot of things cause you to get in it. Now you need to do the whole lot of things to get out of it. First Corinthians 7, 5. Do not deprive each other of sexual relations, married people, unless you both agree to refrain from sexual intimacy for a limited time so you can give yourselves more completely to prayer. Afterward. You should come together again so that Satan won't be able to tempt you because of your lack of self-control. See how you can expose them? That's why I say only one of you needs to be in the mood. Well, I'm not in the mood today. You're leaving them exposed. And I, again, I used to focus this to ladies. Ladies, do this for your husbands. Do this to your... And I've come to learn... I've come to learn that multiple of you, men, you withhold that from your wife. Why? Why do that? I understand there's reasons and there's hard, But when you do that, you are hurting your marriage. Make that woman feel like you think she's the most beautiful woman in the world again. Make her feel like she's attractive to you and drives you crazy again. Listen, I... My, half of my job as a pastor, and I've said this before, is keeping single people out of bed and keeping married people in bed. And I heard a preacher, uh, or, or read a preacher who put this very in, in different words than I'm used to using. But he said this. He said, sex is not the goal. Because when you're single, the devil tempts you into half sex, half sex, half sex, half sex, sex. And the moment you get married and it's legal, all of a sudden, you don't want to have sex anymore. The goal was never sex. The goal was always to get you separated from God. Do you see how that works? Meet each other's needs. Submit to one another in those moments. And listen, men, there are moments, wives, there are moments, if you realize this is not the right time for them and you can wait a day, wait a day, please, wait a day. But by and large, when there is the opportunity and they're ready for intimacy, give that to them because that's what you've committed to one another. Submit to one another. Now that I have everyone's attention, let's move on to the next one. (laughs) And I alluded to it earlier, but invite the right people into your marriage. Invite the right people into your marriage. This is what I mean by that. We all need people in our lives. We understand that, but sometimes there are certain places that we want to keep people out of because we feel like this is my business. This is our personal lives. You've heard the saying, it takes a marriage to, I mean, it takes a village to raise a child. It takes a village to keep a marriage together. That is just the fact. Husbands, who do you have in your life that can tell you when you're being dishonoring to your wife? Is there anybody in your life that can pull you aside and not in front of everybody, but say, hey, do you always talk to her like that? You realize that joke you made absolutely crushed her and you thought it was funny? Yeah, you got a lot of laughs, but how foolish was that? Who do you have in your life that can do that? Wives, who do you have in your life? An older woman with wisdom or even a friend with wisdom that can pull you aside and say, you're acting like a brat. Stop. Listen to the man that God gave you. Do you invite that into your life? Because you need it, especially those of us who didn't see that modeled for us as children. I encourage you, if you didn't have that, find the models, the examples of their incredible marriages in this church that model marriage very well, that you can learn from and glean from. And we need that. And there are moments that you need to be able to call on that. Listen, there are four words that will absolutely change the course of almost any argument in me and Lauren's relationship. Are you ready? I'm calling Pastor Jacob. (laughs) I'm not joking. It will change the course of almost every relationship, I mean, every argument that we have because it invites instant accountability to both of us acting like children. Yeah. Instant. Wives, if your husband doesn't know that at any given point you can call Pastor Gabe or Pastor Marty or your small group leader or James Bertrand or Pastor pa- if they don't know that, they have that level of accountability, they need to know it. And wives, so do you. Husband, so do you. You, you, you need to be able to say, I'm going to invite accountability and we will go sit down with them. If we need to. Thank you, Candy. Candy's the only one who thought that was good, but it's okay. (laughs) And here's a bonus tip that the first service didn't get for the sake of time. Bonus wife tip. You ready? Wives, offer help, not criticism. Offer help, not criticism. Let me tell you, as a man, we need your help. But your criticism does not help us. It does not help us. We need you to, as men, we need you to give us your wisdom, your perspective, your counsel. And when we make a mistake, don't beat us up. Don't beat us up, because we will, because guess what? So will you. Treat us how you would want to be treated in that moment. When your husband is trying to lead, trying to step out, and you beat him up along the way, guess what? He will become so timid and so scared. He may not show you, but inwardly he will be so scared to make a mistake. And when is the last time you saw someone riddled with fear making wise decisions? If I do this, she's going to criticize me. If I do this, she's going to, I'm going to have, this is going to be a four-month-long argument if I do this. Build your husbands up. Don't criticize them. When they make a mistake, tell them how it affected you, but don't criticize them. Men, here's a bonus tip for you. Take the lead. Take the lead. What do I mean by that? When it comes to prayer being a part of your family, you lead it. You initiate it. I'm gonna talk about that more at the end of the message. When it comes to being on, going on dates, don't let your wife have to remind you that you haven't been on a date in two months. You take the lead, you take the lead. And I understand schedules, and listen, I have a very, very busy, hectic schedule. It changes all the time, but something that does not change is what Lauren and I are doing on Friday morning. If you call me and, hey, would you like to go to that? I'm busy. I'm busy. Why? Because that is our time. And she knows when it comes to Friday morning, she has my attention. And we're going to sit down and I'm going to lead that charge. And I think sometimes she even, hey, are we still having a day? I think she tests me. <laughs> the is yes. The answer's yes. That is our daytime. Men, take that lead. Take the lead in your parenting. You lead the charge. If you see something in your family, I don't want to deal with that because I know she's probably going to be upset. Huh? Sometimes you have to have conflict if you're going to lead well. If you know that you know it is God's best for your family for this thing to happen, then you have to go willingly into conflict. Because you're not, just, you're not in this for your comfort. You're in this for God's blessings on your family. That's why you're leading. Here's another one. You lead the charge when it comes to fixing problems and arguments. I hate it. I hate it. Hate it, hate it, hate it, hate it. Whenever Lauren and I are in a conflict and I know that I'm the one who has to lead the charge of getting things right. Because 90% of me is going, she's wrong. She did this. She needs to. But that 10% goes, you led this. You did this, so you need to lead the charge to reconcile. Come on, one person with a clap. I hear you. (laughs) Here's another one, men, that you need to lead in. Lead in sexual intimacy. You initiate it. Going back to what I talked about, again, you have to cover one another. But there are times, men, there are times where you are afraid to ask your wife for sexual intimacy because you're afraid you're going to be rejected, so you just wait until she somehow gives you the sign. You know what the sign is. Don't act like, you don't know, like, like, oh, a safe. Okay, you initiate. If you're always waiting on that, I'm not saying wives can't initiate, but that needs to be a treat when that happens. You need to lead the charge, man, for the sexual intimacy of your home. You need to lead that charge. And I'm not telling you how often you need to, but I'm just telling you once a week is a good rule of thumb. (laughs) At least. I mean, listen, I'm not not saying you have to. That's something that y'all figure out. But I'm just telling you, you need to lead the charge when it comes to intimacy. Because again, I've seen men get bitter at their wives because you don't have intimacy, but you have refused to ask for intimacy because you're afraid. That's not what, the worst types of leaders are the leaders who aren't leading. Those are the worst types. Now let me shift gears a little bit and speak to our children. Let me give a few tips for children. Y'all got real excited on that one. Okay. (laughs) Children, honor God by honoring your parents. Honor God by honoring your parents. There are kids who can raise their voice loudly in worship and disrespect their parents just as loudly with the same voice. And that does not honor God. That does not honor God. You honor him by honoring your parents. That is the, the first, the Bible makes it clear, that is the first commandment with a promise. If you want your life blessed, obey your parents. Honor your parents. Now, let me bring clarity to children, okay? That word children doesn't mean that you're 42 years old with a family and you obey everything that your parents tell you to do. Good. That's not the case. You do owe them honor. You don't owe them obedience in that point. Okay. But if you are 15 years old and you think you know everything about life and you're still living underneath their roof, obey them. Yes, that's right. Now let me, go, let me say this as well. If you are 24 years old and still underneath, living underneath their roof, obey them. Right. Yeah. Obey them. Why? You're expensive. <laughs> They're still sacrificing for you. You owe them obedience in that moment. I'm 24 years old. Why do they want me to be home by midnight? Move out. <laughs> and listen, for those, those children who are, there are cases and scenarios where you're a believer and your parents aren't, not advocating for you to sin if your parents tell you to sin. But outside of that, you need to show them honor and obedience You need to show them obedience. Well, they're not believers. It doesn't matter. God still gave you to them. Obey them. And you may win them over with your conduct. Here's another very simple one. Number two for children's tips. Say yes, sir, and no, ma'am. That is respect. That is honor. When a kid calls their parent by their first name, something inside of me just turns. And even with my kids, I have to remind them, it's not yep, it's not nope, it's yes, sir, and no, ma'am. Well, me and my kids are friends. I'm going to get to that in a moment. It shows honor, it shows respect when you say yes, sir, and you say no, ma'am. And I can remember when I was lost, and my mom, I remember very vividly getting around families where the kids were saying yes, sir, and no, ma'am to their their parents. And my mom was like, why don't y'all do that? And I was like, I don't know. And I had no intentions on starting. Until at 16 years old, I got born again, and Jesus changed my life. And guess what? Then it became yes, ma'am. No, ma'am. I'm 43 years old with my own family. And when my mom calls me, it's a yes, ma'am. No, ma'am. Why? Because I'm honoring her. I'm showing respect and reverence to her. So honor your parents, even with your words. Here's another one, children. Young people, hear me, please. Be honest with your parents. Be honest. And I'm not just talking about when you're in trouble. I'm talking about you doing your part to keep your heart open with your parents. There are going to be times, there are times whenever your parents tell you something and you swallow it because you're like, Pastor Gabe, tell me I got to obey my parents. (laughs) And you're you're sitting down, but inwardly, you're standing up tall. (laughs) And in those moments, I want to give you an encouragement. And parents, I want you to let them, let them ask you why. Not all the time. I get it. But when there's something deep inside of their heart, let them ask questions. Let them process through the world so that they can learn to see the world the way that you see it. They can learn and understand why they're doing certain things, why you're saying no to certain things. Now, here's the thing. When you know that they understand it and they're just choosing it, shut up. Listen. Okay but they need to be able to learn. Your job is not just to teach them obedience, it's to teach them why they're obeying. Why they're following authority. Why they're they're doing why are they being respectful to people? But kids, you have a responsibility to be honest. Don't get resentful because you refuse to ask the question. Don't close your heart off because your parents hurt you and you never told them that you that they hurt you. They're not perfect. I can promise you that. But mostly, by and large, most of them are trying their hardest to set you up to have a better life than they had. They're trying. So be honest. When you close your heart and you hit those teenage years and I'm cold and callous and they've hurt me from, five, from when I was five and, and you never told them, tell them. Be honest and parents be humble enough to hear it. Because you know they're not perfect. Don't be scared for them to know that you're not perfect. And here's the last one for children before I get into parents. Every now and then, say thank you. Every now and then, say thank you. Every now and then, your parents need to hear that you are grateful for the things that they're sacrificing to give you. That you're you acknowledge the sacrifice. And here's the thing, I'm not asking you to understand what you don't understand. There are certain things that your parents sacrifice for you that you will not understand until you be- are in their shoes one day, until you are a parent one day. Then you will, un- ah, now I get it. And that's okay. That's all part of God's plan. God's killing our flesh at the same time. But the things that you are grateful for, express that to them. And you will do wonders in your relationship with your parents by simply acknowledging what they've done for you. The parents for you. A few tips for you before I'm done. Value what your kids value. Value what your kids value. What am I talking about? Sometimes we can get so caught up in the busyness of our life and the busyness of our world that we forget to get into their world for a moment. Sometimes we need to put our work aside and watch a, a silly Disney TV show, if that's what you watch, with them. Ask them questions about their day. When we sit down for dinner, we sit down as a family together, and I ask my kids about their day because I want to get into their world. Are y'all with me? Sometimes you got to do, and listen, I know sometimes, like this is so dumb, I want to do this. I can't believe they like this. But one day, hear me, one day when you're older, they're going to choose whether or not they want to get into your world or not. Remember that. And when you're older and you want to talk to them and you're remembering all the moments you shut down the conversations when they wanted to talk to you. Number two, and it plays into this, but keep their hearts open. Parents keep their hearts open. Let me give you some practical ways you can do that. Dads, I'll speak to you for a moment. Date your kids. Date your kids. You want to know where I'm at after service almost every single Sunday of the year? On a rotation of dates with my daughters. After church, I'm taking one of them out. I'm taking my oldest daughter out, I'm taking my middle daughter out, and I'm going wherever Lily tells me to go. (laughs) Right? Because I'm getting in their world. I'm finding out what's in their heart. All the things we just talked about. I'm getting in, and if I don't know, guess what? Sometimes as you get into their heart, you're going to find some scary stuff. But thank God you're hearing it because if you didn't hear it, you wouldn't know. And they'd be processing it all by themselves or with their friends who know less than them. Ask questions. Get into their worlds. Date them. Take them in fun things just so you can ask questions and talk to them and get to know them. Because they are changing all the time. All the time. Something that Colossians says, and this is important for us to know as we get into this next one, which is this respect your children. When I heard Pastor Paul and Miss Lynn share that with us last year, a light bulb went off in my head. Because I, Pastor Paul and Miss, I don't know if I told y'all this, that's the very first time I've ever heard that in my entire life. And it was so fruitful and so. Eye-opening, and I want to reshare it with you. Respect your children. That scripture in Colossians that I just read. Let me read a different translation. It says, Fathers, really speaking of parents, do not provoke your children lest they become discouraged. And a man, A.S. Peak, said this. This was his explanation of that. He said, This is provoking. Irritate by exacting commands. In perpetual fault-finding and interfering for interference sake poking disrespecting harming them when you're harsh with them you're closing their heart when you're openly mocking them you're closing their heart when you're comparing them to other kids you're closing their heart And then years from now, you wonder why their heart is closed, and you don't see all the damage that you've done over the years that have closed their hearts off to you. Respect your children. Show them that respect. I know sometimes they're disrespectful, and I'm not advocating for letting that fly, but you model respect to them. That was so rich when Pastor Paul and Ms. Lynn shared that last year. Here's the next one. And I want to bring, not balance, but I want to give you another piece to the puzzle. And this one is just as needed and just as important. Be their parent, not their friend. Let me explain that. There will be times where my children need me to be a friend to them, and I want to be that. I want to be a confidant. I want to be a safe place. But those are sometimes... I am always supposed to be their leader. I am always supposed to be their dad. My job, my responsibility is to guide them. My responsibility is to protect them. My responsibility is to provide for them. And my responsibility is to correct them. And I wanna talk to you because I know our kids, we either look at them as like, man, what are they doing? And we're so mad at them. Or we look at them like they can do no wrong. Both of those things are falsities. Both of those things are lies that will do nothing but harm and hurt your children in the long run. Spare the rod, spoil the child. Your children need perspective from you. Your children need correction from you. And here's the the scary thing. Hear me. Please hear me. When we refuse to discipline and correct our children, we think that they're becoming our friends. But one day they will despise you for it. One day when the world has to teach them lessons that you refuse to teach them because you were scared or, or they are oblivious to how great they are, or excuse me, the not great side of them. When you refuse to do that, God himself will have to discipline your children. Law enforcement will have to discipline your children. The college will discipline your children. And they will see a whole other side to the world that you never showed them because you didn't walk in order. Lastly, pray with them and for them. Pray with them and for them. Prayer needs to be a centerpiece of your marriage, but it also needs to be a centerpiece of your parenting. Just about every night, without exception, or very, excuse me, with very few exceptions, I'm in my kids' room, and I'm worshiping, singing, I'm praying for them, and with the youngest, because I used to do it with the oldest, but now they're reading their Bible on their own, I'm reading the Bible or showing them like scriptures like I showed you last week, going to Saddleback's, you know, Kids Church on YouTube or the the version Kids Bible, going over those things with them, because I'm I'm inviting God into our everyday life. If your kids only think of God when y'all come to church on Sunday... You're missing it. And they're missing it. You need to invite God into every day with your children. And husbands, dads, I know sometimes it can be intimidating. I don't know what to say. Just talk to God about what's in your heart. Ask him to bless them. Ask him to protect them. You don't have to have an eloquent prayer. Just invite him in. Just invite him in. Because one day... They're going to do what you've modeled for them. One day they're going to wake up in the morning and pray because they've seen dad praying in the living room every morning. One day they're going to read their Bibles before they go to bed because they've seen God, they've seen dad doing that with them and bringing God into that time with them. Model that for them. Invite God into it. And I know those are very, very practical things. But these are ways that we can walk in God's divine order in our families. Let God, let these words challenge your heart because a well-ordered heart will provide a well-ordered family. Let me pray for you. Father, I thank you for your people. Thank you for these words that can be more than words if we will let them get into our hearts. They can provide rich blessings for generations to come, if we will choose to walk in your order, if we will choose to do things your way. And Lord, I pray that this would be a life-giving for generations to come in their families. Thank you for revealing areas where we've rebelled against this. Thank you for revealing areas where we've sought what's best for us instead of what's best for our families. Give us the grace and the strength to break generational curses from the past to build kingdom families that honor you. When every eye closed and every head bowed, speaking of that kingdom, I'm talking primarily to those who are in the kingdom, those who belong to God. That's who Paul wrote this to, new creations in Christ. And if you're here and you Realizing would be willing and honest enough to say, I'm not a new creation in Christ. I'm not talking about whether or not you go to a church somewhere. I'm not talking about whether or not you were christened as, as a kid or shook a pastor's hand. I'm not talking about, I'm asking this question. Are you born again? Are you a committed follower of Jesus Christ? Jesus told a religious leader this. He said, You cannot see, you can't even see this kingdom, the kingdom of heaven, unless you are first born again. Well, Pastor, what is that? It is exactly how it sounds. The old you dies, and you become a new creation, born again, born of the Spirit of God, sins forgiven because the old you is dead. Right relationship with God, because the price has been paid for all that you've done. How do I do that, Pastor? It's as simple as ABC. A, you admit. Admit that you're a sinner. You admit the, with honesty and transparency, God, I've sinned against you, and I know it. From the greatest thing that I'm ashamed of to the things that I thought were no big deal, but I recognize it was against you. B, you believe, believe what? That God sent Jesus to die on the cross for those sins so that they could be washed away, so that they could be forgiven, and you could stand before God justified and righteous. And C, you confess, you confess that he is now the Lord of your life, that he died on that cross, that he rose again from the dead on the third day, and that you are now following him. So with no one looking around today, if that's you and you say, Pastor Gabe, that's that's me. I wanna be right with him. I'm gonna invite you to pray a prayer with me. And these words aren't magical. There's no power in these words, but it's the surrender of your heart and the spirit of God meeting and seeing that sincerity in your heart, coming to save you in your sinful heart. And he will make you a new creation. So you say, that's me. I'm gonna lead you in that prayer. And we're going to confess with our mouth and believe with our heart that Jesus is the Son of God that God rose Him from the dead. But I want to acknowledge who I'm praying with. So on the count of three, if that's you, I just want you to lift up your hand if you say that's me, Pastor. One, two, three. If that's you, lift it up if you say that's me. I want to be born again. Thank you. I see your hand. Anyone else? Thank you. Thank you. Praise God. Anyone else? Thank you. I see your hand back there. Thank you, sir. Thank you, sir. Thank you. I see your hand back there. Praise God. You can put him now. Church, let's pray this prayer out loud together with one another. Say, Dear Lord Jesus, I believe that you are the Son of God. I believe on the cross, you died for my sin, for my guilt, and for my shame. I believe you faced hell, so I would not have to. And you rose again from the dead to give me a place in heaven, a purpose on earth, and a relationship with the Father. I turn away from my sin. I repent of it. And I choose to follow you. And from this moment on, God, you are my Father. Jesus, you are my Lord and Savior. Holy Spirit, you are my helper. And heaven is now my home. I am yours. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Come on, church. Let's celebrate with every person who prayed that prayer. If you prayed that, welcome to the family of God. And I just want to encourage you to do a couple things. Keep coming. Keep learning what it means to be a follower of Jesus. And tell someone about the decision that you made. Let someone know you prayed that prayer. You can do that by... Publicly telling someone, you can do that by filling out that blue Connect card in the pew pocket in front of you. Or you can do that by going to the Get Connected screen with the QR code that we're going to put up here in a moment. Last announcements as we close. Black and white night for all of our teenagers. Come dressed up as a prom theme service. And next week, intro to Next Steps. If you're interested in taking your next steps in your relationship with God, next week after our 10 o'clock service. And our prayer partners are going to be here up front if you need prayer for anything. We'd love to pray for you. Stand to your feet. Let me pray for you. Father, I pray for your people. I pray you would bless them. I pray you would keep them. I pray that you would make your face shine on them. That, God, you would bless them in their going out and in their coming in. That you would give them peace. That you would give them grace. That you would bless all that they put their hands to in your name. And I pray, Lord... That as a church, we would be a pure church who walks in the fear of the Lord, a powerful church who walks in the power of the Holy Spirit, and a persistent church even in the face of challenges. And we ask these things in the matchless name above every name, the name of Jesus and all God's people said, amen.